played an instrument as a kid? How many of you played an instrument as a child? Awesome. Okay, let's put your hands up one more time. I'm so sorry. Now keep your hand up if you still play that instrument. All right. So, okay, now you can put your hands down. We're, by the way, good for you. Um, that, that, a little taste of, of that experience of having done something and been excited about something, and then it it drifting away from you. It's sort of what we're going to talk about today. The, the, you're familiar with the words encouragement and discouragement. And, you know, I'll, I'll, you know I can own in my own journey that I've, I've sort of been trying to find some encouragement in this last season. And it's hard. I'm having a hard time with it. But the Bible uses, it talks about that word, but then it talks about another experience that we're going to look at today, this idea of losing heart. And losing heart is really when you just, you just give up. And, it, it, you know, the, it's, it's not traumatic that you gave up the oboe. That's fine. <laughs> but maybe sometimes you do wonder, hey, what would have happened if I had hung in there? Like, do you ever think, like, what if, like, what if I had kept playing the oboe or the flute? And what if I had sort of pushed through the pain of all those practices and today I got to still enjoy that? That's the intention of the scripture we're going to look at. But my own bumping up against it doesn't feel like that. Like the Bible's trying to encourage me. And yet I'm struggling to be encouraged. A long time ago, I, uh, it was the, as a matter of fact, it was the last quarter of my junior year. I lived in Colorado. My dad lived in Alabama. My parents had divorced when I was three. And so I never had experienced going to school while living with my dad. I was living in Colorado with my mom's stepdad. And my mom's alcoholism was just really out of control. And I was sort of tired of it. And so I called my dad and I said, hey, can I come and finish up my junior year with you? And he said, sure. My dad lived sort of in rural Alabama at that time. And, and, and so I, I moved to, to Alabama the last, um, last quarter of my junior year. Why that's important, the, the geography is important, is because it used to be as a sort of a traveling youth speaker, I would sometimes challenge my audience to name a food that I, as a kid from Alabama, had not eaten that had either been fried 
or it had mayonnaise on it. <laughs> and the reason that's important is because you see, what I discovered the junior year of my high school experience was that in rural Alabama, really the only thing fun to do is to fry something and eat it. Like, I, I didn't realize that there's really not a lot of other social outlets that doesn't involve frying or mayonnaise. And, and the reason all that's important is to say that in that one quarter, I gained about 40 pounds. And while there, I applied to work at a Christian camp here outside of Denver in the Rocky Mountains. Some of you might know Camp Idrahaji. It's been there a long, long time. So I applied. They accepted me. I flew from Alabama, 40 pounds heavier, and landed in Denver. So you can already experience, you can anticipate that altitude change. And the very next morning I got up, and I went to work at Camp Idrahaji at about 8,000, 8,500 feet. 40 pounds overweight with little tiny Alabama lungs. And um, <laughs> then the very first morning there at 4.30, the senior counselors come into the new counselor's dorm banging on trash can lids, singing Rise and Shine and Give God the Glory, this little song, which is, as you understand, impossible to do both. And... Um, but, so they got us up and they put us on a bus and we were going as part of our initiation to experience hiking to Inspiration Point. Now I will testify, there's absolutely nothing inspirational about this hike. So we get there and everybody, I can, you know, the tr they're kind of gathering at the base of the trail, giving people talk and waiting for others to show up. Now I'm, I'm fairly in tune with what is going on and what is about to happen to me. I mean, I, I'm struggling just to be alive, much less now looking at this incline to perspiration point, inspiration point. And so I get this idea, I say, I, I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll just go, I'll just get started. I'll get like this head start and then it won't be so obvious how much I'm struggling. And so I start walking up the trail and, I get a good 10, 15 minutes ahead of everyone. And then, you know, here comes all, you know, the first wave, the guy, you know, all the guys trying to be impressive. And so they're running to inspiration point and, you know, I pray for them <laughs> that they will die. And then, um, uh, then, you know, then the kind of the next wave of people show up and, you know, we chat and then they pass me and, you know, then people in wheelchairs on crutches, they catch me. <laughs> So, I was about 20 minutes the last person to show up. The sun had already risen, they were all inspired, and here I come. So, we're going to talk about a couple of experiences I had with that. One is I want to be clear that, that, that as we're talking about this idea of discouragement and encouragement, how that works, it's possible that you have a message in your head that says that the reason you're so discouraged is because you, you're not trying hard enough. You're, you're, you're not giving it all. You, you're, you're we. And I'm going to tell you, you couldn't have wanted to get to inspiration point more than me. You could not have tried harder than I tried. 
The reality was, I was carrying in this little, this is just an illustration, I was carrying some extra weight that made what was already going to be difficult almost impossible. So we're going to talk about that kind of, that weight part. But can I tell you what was the worst part of it all? The worst part was showing up, and this is terrible to say, the worst part was then my friends trying to encourage me. What it felt like with them, and, and how, you know, I felt like some special Olympian or something. Like, oh, good job, Carl. Oh, you made it. You didn't die. Oh, where's a good, good job? And they're trying. They're really trying. They're, their hearts are in the right place. But that was almost worse for me because of what was being translated in my head. Those two experiences is what we're going to look at today, that real briefly, just this idea of what, what makes it what's already, I think, and this is, I'm giving you sort of a, a disclosure on my theology. I think life is already sort of predisposed to be hard. You may disagree, and that's fine. But if you agree, what I'm saying is what's already going to be hard can be made almost impossible when we're, when we're carrying with us sort of this weight that doesn't maybe have to be carried. And the other is the way in which we translate words spoken to us can make it also really hard. I want to say at the very beginning, um, because of my own experiences, both with depression and discouragement and losing heart, that they're not the same thing. There's similarities, of course. But if you're here struggling with depression, nothing I say may be helpful. Because depression is, for the most part, it's better to think of that as something chemical that's happening in your body. And something that isn't just a few good choices away. Now, I'm not saying there aren't good choices you can make and help and all that. But I'm just trying to help you. I'm not, what I'm trying to do is not make life worse for you. If you're struggling with depression and you think that's what I'm talking about, that's not what I'm talking about. They can be two different experiences. They have similarities and they overlap because we're complex people. We're, we're, we're not just bodies, but we're also not just spirits and souls and emotions. We're, we're a combination of those. Depression... I think it's better sometimes to think of as primarily a physiological and a chemical experience. And discouragement and losing heart is primarily an emotional and spiritual experience, okay? Just so to sort of, to, just as distinguish those, if that will help. Losing heart is when you have this thought that in order to survive and to make the pain stop, I need to quit. You see, as I was hiking up to Inspiration Point, the one thing that would have made the excruciating pain go away would have been to stop hiking. That thought enters and entered my mind. That thought is what will enter your mind as a follower of Jesus, actually. That's what Paul's going to be talking about. That's what he's, the essence of what he's sort of addressing in what, this letter we're going to look at. When, when you have that thought, gosh, if I just screw it, then it won't hurt so bad. That's the losing heart. 
All right, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is Paul's third letter, actually, to the Corinthians. We have two of them, at least three letters. We have two of them that are part of our sacred text. The one in the middle, we don't have. So if you remember, you know, the first letter was kind of hard. Like he had some, that's what I, as a matter of fact, I preached on that last time I was here. And and I mean, it was some bad stuff happening. And he's trying to address that and keep the church from fracturing and all of that. And now many years later, he's writing back to them. And it's a much, it's a much more tender letter. And it's much more um, personal. And I'm going to just look at verse 16. Um. We'll read that together. So we do not lose heart. We don't give up. We don't quit so that we can survive. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Here's what I know. I think I know that God's intention in this letter is to encourage me. That what God wants is for me to feel connected to him and to, and to feel like I can make it. And my confession is, as I read that in my search for encouragement in this season of my life, I just wasn't getting it. I'm going to share with you first what I think are some of this I I referenced earlier, so that the extra burden we're carrying with us, the rocks in our pockets, the the extra weight. One is the the weight of of a bad gospel. Many of us no longer cognitively actually think of, but somehow got into the the spiritual DNA at the very beginning of our experience with Jesus. And we don't even realize that that tape is still playing. Look at verse, well, I'll just read for you, the beginning of this chapter, verse 4. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, he repeats what he says then at the end, we do not lose heart. That's how I know this is his intention for us. Speaking of this bad gospel, this is how he references it. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. In other words, he's saying, I'm trying to give you as best I can an honest gospel. When I first came to Jesus... Unintentionally, I learned kind of a bad gospel. And it hasn't served me well. One of the the, the secret messages I learned was this. That the gospel means Jesus always wants you to be happy. As a matter of fact, part of the gospel, sort of the, when I talk about gospel, which just translates to good news, which is just another way to say the, the story of Jesus in the world. The way I sort of heard it, And the way I was taught to tell it was this. If you come to Jesus, if you trust in Jesus, everything is going to come up roses. Not only is that the, the message I learned, 
but then began, of course, like all humans, to experience something different. But what happened was I, I was, like all of us, I wanted to be part of a group. I was a, a ninth grade kid coming out of a dysfunctional home. My, my being rescued by Jesus had maybe, this sounds terrible, less to do with him and more to do with his friends. Because I could see them. They, they loved me. They accepted me. But what I thought they were saying, and I don't know if, it's, if they did or not, but what I intuited was, if I'm going to belong, I better, I better pretend like Jesus has made everything okay. And that instinct to belong trumped my instinct and need, to be honest. And, Jesus, and Paul's saying... That's not the gospel. I'm not, I'm, not giving, I'm, not, I'm not selling you something that is, this is not an infomercial about Jesus, which promises to you know, chop, slice, dice, and do your laundry for one low price. He's saying, I'm giving you the honest truth. And the honest truth is, repeating Jesus' own words, in this world, you will have many tribulations. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. The struggle to belong as part of this bad gospel, this part of Jesus will make you happy. And the other is this idea of what it kind of relates to that is kind of a hidden agenda, a, a hidden motive. Now, this may not, some of you may not remember this, but for a long time, I, I, I think in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, there, there was this movement called friendship evangelism. Now, let me be honest. I, I'm not against any kind of, any kind of evangelism, any kind of prayer, I'm usually okay with. I, I, I don't have enough time to sort of critique everybody's methodologies. But the friendship evangelism, there's just one little, if I could just speak one little thing into that, and that is this idea of a hidden agenda. An agenda, in my opinion, is fine. Agendas won't get you in trouble if you're willing to announce your agenda. If you're willing to say, this is what I want, or this is why I'm doing what I'm doing, but to have a hidden agenda, not a good idea. And I don't think it's sort of consistent with a gospel that is in the light. So the, the friendship evangelism basically was this. You pretend to be somebody's friend because they think you need friends. But in reality, you're just being a friend so that you can tell them about Jesus and then in reality, you're doing that so you can tell your friends back at the church where everybody is happy how you told them about Jesus. And then you get extra credit for that. And if you do that enough, they'll make you a pastor. The idea of a hidden agenda is caustic in relationships. Like, for instance, I remember, I remember the first time, maybe I've shared this with you guys before, I remember the first time I bought my wife I think it was a Christmas present, you know, so this is 36 years ago. It was a Christmas present or a birthday present, something like that. And, um, and I don't remember exactly, but I remember I had bought her a dress. I do remember that. And I had searched, and I was, I was just so pleased with myself. In the exchange of the gift, what April thought was I was giving her something so that she, it would make her happy and because I loved her. <laughs> Silly girl. <laughs> what I was doing was looking for affirmation that even though I'm only 19, 20 years old, I am killing this husband thing. <laughs> like, I'm really good at this. What I was looking for, my hidden agenda, was for 
her to affirm how good a husband I am. And so what I expected was not only the thank you, which she did, but unbelievable and and lavish praise, which did not come because I did not know that polka dot purple dresses are not the good thing to give to people. And all she did was say to me, thank you, honey, that's really sweet of you. And then she said these words, did they have any other colors? And I, I was furious. Yeah, it's amazing we have hung in there. There's a pragmatism in a bad gospel that I learned. Some of you have learned that too. Pragmatism, or maybe there's other words for it, but it's simply, it's like this. It's like this equation. If I do A, God will always do B. It, it's, 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 being a Christian is just like math. Nothing can ever change and nothing can go wrong. And if, if you're not getting B, the problem is always on the A side. You're just not getting God to do what God's supposed to do. And we've taught that kind of stuff. We don't mean to, but we, we do. And it's, it's caustic. And I think what... Paul's alluding to is it's sort of it it leads to this extra baggage we're carrying that creates discouragement let me tell you how I know that I want you to hear as Paul describes sort of his own evangelistic efforts remembering that next to Jesus I think it's fair to say Paul was the most influential person in all of Christianity This is what he describes here in 2 Corinthians 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus as Lord's, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus say what I think he's answering is the accusation that would go like this Paul why aren't you seeing more converts you see most of the people that Paul preached to the most influential person in all of Christian history most of the people he spoke to did not trust Christ most of the people he spoke to did not have a revolutionary change in their belief system he was answering maybe his board as to why things were not looking good why are the numbers not up Uh, 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 I'll share with you that in my own heart, especially in this season, I have wondered about my impact in this world. And it feels, it feels so tiny and it's so discouraging. I've been a pastor in some form for almost 35 years and I got a letter, well, the letter was a Facebook message this last year. Let me read it for you. I'm reading this for a couple of reasons. One, I want you to realize that in 35 years, I've maybe gotten a handful of these. And two, so you'll think better of me. (laughs) Hello, Pastor Wheeler. I wanted to thank you for accepting my friend request. You probably do not remember me but through your messages at Camp Idrahaji, 
Way back in August of 1992, I came to know the Lord. I was brought up to camp through a campership from a Carroll Bible Church and had the pleasure of learning about the Lord through you and my counselor, Ron. Thank you for what you do for the Lord. I just wanted to let you know that I was a life that was changed through your work. Thank you. Most of the people that I've come across, most of the people that I've been in conversations with or been part of my ministry have not been impacted like this young man. And quite honestly, when I am honest about it, like all of us, I had very little to do with what happened in his life. That was just the miracle of Jesus' invasion into him. I don't remember him. I couldn't tell you one thing I said. He probably couldn't remember one thing I said. There isn't a pragmatic part of being a follower of Jesus. Jesus doesn't work. (laughs) Jesus is a person who we love and loves us. The second part of this this weight, this, this, this thing that is so discouraging is that I think I, in some ways, that is harder. And, and that is the, the internal translator that is happening in all of us. You see, when we hear things or we read something, we, we have within us a translator. You understand how the Bible maybe has come to be. It was, it was, it was spoken in, in a particular language. In Jesus, in the Gospels, Jesus spoke mostly Aramaic and then translated into Greek, and then from Greek into all these other languages, and and most of the New Testament was written in Greek, and and then we translate that into English. So we've already got that translation. But what's happened is we're reading in English, which is our language, and, and we know all the words, and as we're listening to the words, we're translating them again, and you don't even know you're translating them. Because you've got an inner translator. And your inner translator, I'll, I'll give you the shortcut. Your inner translator basically is going to be whispering this. You suck. That's just the inner translator. Somehow there's this default human thing that is predisposed that when it's hearing something, is hearing, you suck. Like like when I came to the top of of Inspiration Point and my friends were, were trying to love me and trying to be encouraging, what I heard them saying is, you suck. Oh, you suck. Because the inner translator always translates that way. So I'll give you my own personal experience with the verse that we looked at. Beautiful verse, right? Therefore, we do not lose heart. Our, though our outer man is decaying or wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed. I mean, that is cross-stitch material right there, people. <laughs> like, you, can put, you take a picture and put that on a card, you are good to go. So I'm trying to read this. This is, this is so abstract, so hang on with me. I'm just telling you, this is my weird journey, all right? I'm trying to get encouraged. I'm trying to hear God go, hey, way to go, you sucky loser. All right. Though our outer nature is wasting away, God's intention, Jesus, is, hey, Carl, you, you, there's an expiration on your body. 
Right? We all have that. So my brain starts to spin down this road. I'll, I'll, I'll invite you into it this way. Do not answer anything I'm about to ask you out loud. Do, no Tourette's things happening right now, okay? Don't, don't blurt something out. How much should you weigh? Okay, just got a number? Okay, you know what the next question is, right? How much do you weigh? Okay. For many of us, I weigh blank, but I should weigh blank. But I don't because I suck. There's no good answer for why those two numbers aren't the same. Most of us, now this may not be all of you, but those of you that know what I'm talking about, know what I'm talking about. You've never come up with a benevolent and a kind way to think about that. You've only thought about that in really mean self-talk. It's because you're lazy, undisciplined, addicted, whatever it is. So as, this, is, this is the weird part of my journey. And so as I read, read about my body wasting away, all I can come up with is it's my fault. I'm not what I'm supposed to be. Not that it's a natural process. and Not that, you know, gosh, guys that are 55, they just get chubbier. That's just life. I'm fighting it in a way that doesn't feel encouraging is what I'm saying. Because my inner translator will always, at the end of the sentence, it's just, you suck. And then here's the other part of the inner translator. Back to this verse. So we do not lose heart. Though our inner nature is wasting away, and I went on this little weird physiological journey. You probably didn't, but that's fine. Our, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For, now here's the next part. Again, God's trying to encourage me, right? For this slight momentary affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And so here's where my brain goes. It's testimony time here at the sanctuary. We're going to all share our stories of how we've suffered for Jesus and what life is like for us. And so Paul, we've asked Paul to go first. Apostle Paul, you go first. And here's what Apostle Paul writes about his, this is his words, what he describes as momentary light affliction. And these are his words found a little bit, just a couple chapters later as he's looking back on his life and describing what has happened to him. And this is what he says. I've worked harder and been in prison more frequently and been flogged more severely and been exposed to death again and again. Let me explain to you what I'm talking about, he says. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. The 40 lashes minus one was often a lethal sentence. People died from the 39 lashes. You remember in the Gospels when Jesus was beat, and it says as part of his being unrecognizable as human, that was part of what had happened was this beating with the 39 lashes. And the reason they do 40 minus 1 is because they couldn't go over 40, and in case they made a mistake, they're just so benevolent that they just do 40 minus 1. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Again, stoning is a death sentence. 
Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. All right, Carl, why don't you share with us why you're discouraged? You go next. <sighs> Some people don't like me. Do you know why my experience of hiking to Inspiration Point was so painful? Because I was comparing it to everybody else who had made it. If, in fact, this had been the preschool hike to perspiration point, I would have been killing it. I would have felt fine. If I could have gotten there when everybody else did, or if I had been the first one there, it doesn't matter how long it took me. All that matters is I was better than them. Discouragement is, well, one, discouragement is always rooted in a lie. I think you're kind of catching on to that. Being tired, being fatigued, being depressed, that's not necessarily, that's not rooted in a lie, but this idea of I'm going to, I have to quit to survive is rooted in some kind of a lie, something that isn't true. And how I compare isn't true. Last couple of years, my wife and I have been learning how to wake surf. We have a friend with a wake surf boat, and we've been learning. And it's really fun. It's not as hard as surfing, but it's, 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 it's hard to learn. You're, you, you get behind a boat, and they, you weight it down, and you, you catch the, the wake of the, of the, that it's created, and you're only five feet from the boat. And then the goal is you just toss the rope in. You don't need a rope anymore, and you just surf. And... Um, my wife is really athletic, and she got to go quite a bit more than I did, and she picked it up like that. I didn't. Almost that entire first summer, every time I was trying, I had to use the rope. Again, you know what the most painful part is, right? Is that she learned to do it, and I couldn't. She doesn't care. April's not that competitive. She's not in the back of the boat going, hey, fatty, come on. Pick it up. What's wrong with you? She's going, babe, you're doing great. You're, you're, you're doing good. And I'm going, well, I, I can't say what I was thinking. <laughs> Woo, I almost slipped. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but that's what I'm thinking. Shut your yapper. You got it. But it, Here's what feels so terrible. There's nothing she could have said. What was she going to do? If she didn't say anything, I'd be mad at her. Right? Because the story is all mine, I'm the one comparing. Nobody, nobody else on that boat that night was in bed going, gee, what's wrong with Carl? He can't surf. I am up at one in the morning because I can't sleep thinking about the next day when we're going to try again maybe. 
because I'm comparing. All that to say, so here I'm trying to read, and I'm reading momentary light affliction, and I hear this tone. It comes out of a Yusuk theology, and the tone is, I'm being mocked. I'm being mocked. I know that isn't, in my head, I know that isn't true, but somehow that's what I'm hearing. I've shared this with you before, and I'll kind of end with this. As you read the Bible, it is important that you, you develop a few skills of what was the author? What was, God, what was God's intention? What was he trying to say? Why was he saying it at this time to this people? And what does that mean to me? That is all, that's all really helpful and important. But the most important thing that is the most difficult to learn and the most difficult to change because it's in your spiritual DNA is the tone in which you hear something. You're reading words, but you hear a tone. I think a big part of what happened a couple of weeks ago in the Forgotten Gospel Conference is trying to hear, the, see the verses in exactly the, the same verses, but you hear them with a different tone. Learning that, that, in fact, God is not irritated with you. God is not out to prove a point with you. God is not trying to distance himself from you. God is not putting all the onus on you to get your crap together before you can come to him. All of that is about tone in how you have read the Bible. And I'm here to tell you, there is no mockery of you in your pain, in your situation. The comparison is something your you-suck brain invented. Not God. I remember when I was getting sober, and I, I've shared that with you guys, you know, eight years ago, all that stuff. But I remember I shared with this, as a matter of fact, this is interesting, because it goes back, it was that little group of pastors I was telling you about at the very beginning, my friends that we've been getting together for a long time. There's like four of us that have been getting together. And I was sharing with them this, this journey and, and sharing with them that I was, you know, getting sober. And, and, they, uh, and I said, you know, I feel kind of guilty because... I haven't had that alcoholic experience that some of the people I had met at AA had. I hadn't been in jail. I hadn't suffered enormous relational consequences. I didn't lose my job. I was a really high-functioning, closeted, nobody really knew what was going on kind of alcoholic. And, my friend, and I said, I feel guilty. Like, I don't feel like I'm a real alcoholic, you know? <laughs> and my friend said, he said, it doesn't matter if you're drowning in 50 feet of water or a bucket. Drowning is drowning. You're going, well, I, I mean, I, I haven't suffered like Paul. Why should I be so discouraged? I, sh I should not be discouraged. Nothing that comes at the end of I should not is usually very helpful. It is never the intention of the scripture. The invitation is for us to just lighten up if we can and to re-listen if we can.
Let me read these words for us again. Trying as best we can to hear tenderness, commonality, all of us in this together, all of us wanting the same thing and God's good story to be told in our hearts so we don't lose heart. Though our outer nature, person, is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Oh Lord, help us not give up. Help us hear your cheering for us, wanting for us, loving us. And for me, oh God, free me of the tyranny of my constant comparing. Amen. As part of our experience here at the sanctuary, we remind ourselves of, of God's good story being told to us, of us all in this together. It's the most accurate way that sometimes we can hear God is to experience the Lord's Supper, the communion, the Eucharist. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, it says he took the bread and broke it and said, take and eat. This is my body. It's broken for you. There, there's not a, some bar of, of of acceptance that you have to hurdle to come and participate. You have to just want to taste the body of Jesus, to believe that it was broken for you. And on the night he was betrayed, he took the cup, same cup, and he says, this is the new covenant of my blood that was poured out for you. What he means by that is that the... That, that thought you've had your whole life that, it's, that you suck and it's all about you and, and you're distant from God because, and it's all your fault. He's saying, I will, I'll fix that for you. You just have to drink my blood. The white cup is the juice. Is that right? Yeah. Not the most sanitary move I've ever made. And the brown cup will be the wine. And we invite you, if you're willing and brave, to taste the Lord today.